Our sermon text this afternoon uh, comes from Psalm chapter 16, so please turn with me to Psalm 16. Amit Cam of David, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is my, at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this time we have together this afternoon. Um, To stick our noses down in your word, I pray that you would open our minds, that you would open our hearts uh, to your word, to your will that you have for us this morning. Um, Lord, you are good, and we Trust these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So a little history lesson to start off our afternoon. Um, In the middle of the 17th century, and at the end of this period that we call the Reformation, there were about 120 scholars that gathered in Westminster, England. And they gathered there to put together the the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And this catechism's first question is, is, is really infamous. Right, And the question and answer really gets to the core of what the entire Reformation was all about. The question is this, what is the chief end of man? I think if you look at the bottom of your notes on the bulletin this morning, we've got the question and the answer uh, follows to this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is a very oversimplified uh, and very concise answer Um, to what our purpose is here on this earth, right? We exist to give God his due glory and to enjoy him forever. These inseparable truths, are are they were guiding lights for the reformers, right? For who were pushing, uh, they were pushing against the Vatican and Rome. And the reformers held firmly that through all these doctrines and that they fought for and upheld in this time, and all of that struggle, that there is this one truth that must remain through all of this. God must be glorified. And the saints were then given comfort and joy. And these truths, these two truths are inseparable. They're, um, they go together like peas and carrots. They're a little bit like Laurel and Hardy. My wife didn't know who those were. Um, I know some of you do. And maybe it goes together like Tuesdays and tacos. Does that make more sense? Right? It's something that just naturally goes together. Right? And then if, if this noble goal of glorifying God and enjoying him forever was good enough for the reformers, I think um, it's going to make a pretty good target for us this afternoon. But before we get there, I want to explain why we are here. 
So I've spent um, almost the last 18 years of my life, of my career, um, as a youth minister. And, and this is the first time that I've ever had the challenge to come up with a sermon series, a collection of sermons that, that might last us for some time. And typically I would stand up to preach uh, or exhort, as a very good Presbyterian would do. Um, but I wasn't in the Presbyterian church, so we'll just call it preaching. Um, but that would always get called up every single May, right? You've got some graduating seniors, that, and, the youth, and they're like, all right, youth pastor, I guess you've got to come up and talk and say a few things. Um, and so at least once a year, I would get a chance um, to stand up in front of the congregation and, and, and bring the gospel. And every once in a while, the pastor would go out of town or maybe just needed a Sunday off, and they'd call me up um, to preach on a Sunday morning. And I've always enjoyed this challenge, right? But I've never actually had the opportunity to think of more than one sermon at a time. And this was, um, this was a really daunting task for me these last few weeks. Um, you, can, you can ask Mark. I, I was wrestling with, through him with him, and he'd give me some advice, and I'd go to the elders, and they'd tell me the same thing, but I, I needed to hear it from like 10 different guys at the same time. But choosing, choosing what I was going to teach on was, was difficult, right? Choosing my wife was actually a really easy task, right? There was no one else in the world that I would rather spend all of my time with. That was easy, right? Buying a new car. That one's really easy for me. I'm never going to buy a new car. Mine has to be at least 20 years old. I do not have a degree in electrical engineering, um, and so I, I can't fix a new car. So it's got to be an old car that I can work on, right? When this question as to what am I going to spend these next few months on, maybe this next year, what, as I'm thinking about my sermons and what we're going to be talking about on Wednesday or Sunday afternoons, I froze. I froze. This question had me completely baffled. What Bible book of the Bible should I teach? Should I choose a really easy one, kind of a gimme, or should I go for the hard one? Should I start at the beginning or maybe just jump right into the end? Um, what was I supposed to do? So I sought wise counsel. What do you do when you don't know what you're doing? I sought wise counsel. He's sitting right there in the second row. There's two of them. Um, and they told me that this would be a really good time to continue uh, building your theological knowledge as you prepare for your ordination exams. So cue the Westminster Shorter Catechism, right? And question number one, what is the chief end of man? Right? How can we glorify God? How can we enjoy him after a delicious meal on a Sunday afternoon? I know. We can go through the Westminster Shorter Catechism together. So that's what we are going to be doing. But before you get distracted uh, by trying to figure out how many questions there are in this catechism, uh, let me answer that for you. There's 107. And before you start trying to do the math on how long is it going to take this guy to get through 107 sermons he preaches once a month, it's going to be a while. We're going to be here for about 10 years. Um, (laughs) But I do believe the the elders, Lord willing, might allow me to preach more than once a month coming up this next year. But uh, we are not going to reach all 107 questions. But I will do my best to take us through all the main sections in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And we're going to seek to answer one question a week while I'm preaching. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, all right, this collection of doctrinal truths, these questions and answers found in the catechism are great, but what about the Bible, right? Aren't we supposed to be teaching Scripture from the pulpit? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Well, yes, you are correct, right? First, I want you to know that you will find a plethora. There is an abundance of Scripture, scriptural references, and we call them proof texts, that are attached to each one of these catechism questions. 
So rest assured knowing that the great scholars, the minds that put together these questions and answers, studied the Bible over and over and over, and all of these truths are bathed in Scripture. And so we're going to be exploring those passages um, week after week. So it's, it's my goal to pick one or two of these proof texts and work through that Scripture and see what Scripture has to say about these different questions. So Bible, pulpit, check. Safe. All right. Now I realize that uh, my audience here uh, this afternoon um, and, and here at Good Shepherd is, is quite a bit different than what I've been used to teaching over the last <clears throat> many, many years. Um, I actually have one of my old students here, um, so she can attest to this. But in the past, I'd usually have to begin a series like this uh, with a three part sermon series on why doctrine matters, right? Many Christians in the evangelical world outside of our walls, right, love their mantras like doctrine divides. You guys ever heard that one before? Doctrine divides. Man, why would you want to care about that? Or man, it's just me and Jesus. That's all I need, right? That's a good one. So many, many even consider truth to be a relative concept that can mean something to one person and something completely different to someone else. And why these are nifty thoughts, Right? It might seem to hold some truth or some legitimacy on the surface, but when you really think about it, these exist, these originate from bad doctrine. They are based on untrue beliefs and untrue observations. And I think that's what brings many of us here today. That's what brings us here to the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, right? We hold a high view of Scripture or doctrine. I mean, it's in our name, right? Orthodox. We are Orthodox. I like to side with G.K. Chesterton on this one when he's quoted saying, Merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind, as of opening the mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. So we're going to do that together. We're not called to be empty-minded. We're called to be open-minded, but we don't stay open-minded. Right? So we're going to do that together over this next year. We're going to open our minds. We're going to open our hearts to the Lord's word. And we're going to shut it when we find something solid, something that we can chew on, something of meaning, something of substance. And I'm going to propose to you that it's going to come from here, the Word of God, God's infallible and inerrant Word. So without further ado, let us open our Bibles to the book of Psalm. We're going to open our Bibles to Psalm 16 as we answer the reason as to why we exist. The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins by asking, what is the chief end of man? It's our purpose. So today we're going to find out that our purpose for human existence is twofold. The outline is short, too. We are to glorify God, and we are to enjoy him forever. So hopefully this, this, this outline is a little simple. It'll get a little more complicated, but, but we want to remember these things. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Glorify God. Why should we bother with this endeavor? Right? The Apostle Paul reminds us that, that we were bought with a price. <clears throat> you know, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, and that, that's a really steep price that was paid by our Savior Christ. And, and therefore, Paul tells us that in turn, we should remember and glorify the one who paid that debt. Have you ever been a victim of a random act of kindness? 
I remember a really awkward moment in college uh, when I was sitting uh, with my roommate in the drive through line of a Dairy Queen in Arlington, Texas. And we had just ordered two blizzards. It was a hot summer day. We were just looking forward to some cold ice cream. And we realized, we started pooling our money together, and we were a dollar short. We were a dollar short, and so panic set in. We started digging through the glove box and the center console. Couldn't find anything, but my friend remembered, hey, He's got a couple bucks in his pants that were in his suitcase in the trunk. And so he gets out in the middle of this drive through line, and he's throwing clothes left and right, trying to find this pair of pants. He's got a couple of bucks stuck on it. And he finally comes up to the front with this dollar bill as we pull up to the window. And the lady just hands us two blizzards, says, you guys have a nice day. We're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, a guy, guy behind you said he saw you looking for money, and he picked up the tab. So free blizzards. Free blizzards. Um, what would your response be if someone picked up your bill? We were in college, so the right thing at the time seemed to get out of our car and just accost this guy. We both gave him big grins and some high fives, right? And it just seemed like a good idea. But that was our way of offering a genuine thank you for helping pay for our ice cream debt. Pretty trivial, but it was a big deal. And it made us smile. But the God of this universe sent his son to live a perfect life, and to die an undeserving death for you and me. So how are we to say thank you to the Lord for that undeserving act of grace? How do we glorify God? There's an English Puritan by the name of Thomas Watson, and I've been digging through uh, his book, uh, The Divinity, uh, Body of Divinity. And he did, best, he, did, he did his best to answer this question, how do we glorify God? And he gave us four points that we're going to look at this morning. He says you can do this through appreciation, through adoration, through affection, and through subjection. Thomas Watson said that this is the yearly rent that we pay to the crown of heaven. So please open your Bibles with me to Psalm 16 as we begin and we read verse 1. <clears throat> this is a mitcam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. Now, I have no idea if uh, Watson's wise words of wisdom were gleaned from Psalm 16. There's actually no mention or no reference in these four points that he gives us to this actual psalm. But I will attest that as we read through this psalm, we will find that the author... David, who writes this psalm, begins with appreciation. He continues on with adoration and then shows affection and he relinquishes subjection. And he concludes this chapter by speaking of the joy that emanates from knowing God. He talks about glorifying God and enjoying him forever. So it's made really easy of our sermon outline this morning. And it's going to be an excellent text that corroborates our catechism question. What is the chief end of man? glorify God and enjoy him forever. David begins this psalm with appreciation. To glorify God is to set God in our highest, in our highest thoughts, right? And, and to trust him, to trust him with our most valuable possession. What is that? It's your life. Trust him with our most valuable possession. David did this. David is clearly confident that God has the ability to preserve his life. And we've heard from Pastor Wheat these last uh, few sermons as we're digging through First Samuel, right? <clears throat> David was given some things. He was given the sword of Goliath, 
right? And then he was given this army of misfits in a cave who no longer trusted Saul's leadership, right? Did he entrust, did David entrust his life to that giant sword or to that giant army that showed up in his cave? No, he takes refuge in the Lord. Right? And he goes on to confess that not only do I take refuge in the Lord, I have no good apart from God. The sword of a giant. Right? And, and his gathered followers were gifts from above. David is appreciative of this provision, and he boldly proclaims this thanks. So David in Psalm 16 is glorifying God, and he entrusts his creator with his very own life. Oh, that is... That is uh, in, in, Latin, it's called the prima causa, right? The original, the spring head of being who sheds glory upon the creature. Do you have that kind of trust in the Lord? Right? We glorify God when we admire his glorious attributes and his provision in our life. To glorify God is to have God-admiring thoughts and to call him our most excellent. <clears throat> what about adoration? Or perhaps we can call it worship. This morning, look with me in verses three and four. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. David acknowledges two sides here and he states his allegiance as to whom he's going to devote his life to his worship towards Right in verse 3, we have happiness. Right? We have happiness among the fellowship of the saints. And in verse 4, we've got quite the opposite. We've got great sorrow. And this great sorrow multiplies. It gets bigger, and it gets bigger for those who do not have allegiance to the Lord and give their worship to other gods. We glorify God in our adoration or in our worship of Him because He deserves our allegiance. Right? There's, there's an illustration of the importance of this concept of adoration. And I was, I was thinking about this, <clears throat> and I was told in my training that if you can come up with an illustration from the Bible, it's probably a little better than some silly story you can come up with. So we are going to come up with an illustration from God's Word. I, wanna, I want you to turn your attention to another Israelite king. He's actually the future son of David, King Solomon. King Solomon, the author in 1 Kings, tells us that King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. And the Lord had specifically commanded King Solomon to not enter into marriage with these foreign women who uh, worshipped other gods. They gave their allegiance to somebody else, and God didn't want that to taint Solomon's leadership in his heart, because surely his heart would also turn. And it did, with huge consequences. Solomon began to honor his other wives by building temples to them, uh, building temples to their gods. And, and, and this not only led to his demise, but the downfall of his offspring. Right? God tore half the kingdom from his son because of this disobedience and, and worship of other gods. God cares about our worship and whom we worship. We glorify God through our adoration. Practically speaking, how, how on earth does this work? Um, I want you to look no further than your left and your right, right? As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. That's what David says. The glory of the Lord is revealed uh, to the world 
by God's dealings with his people and through their witness, through those people on your left and your right. right? You've got fellow witnesses sitting around you in this room this morning, this afternoon. And together, what are we doing? We are adoring the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords by recognizing the Sabbath, by keeping it holy, singing psalms, singing songs and psalms, right? But we are intentionally carving out one of our most valuable resources, which is our time. Our time is valuable. And we're giving that to God today by reading and preaching of the word and the right administration of the sacraments this morning and, and through prayer, right? To whom or to what is your allegiance? It's a very infamous hymn, and it sings this, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. That is adoration. <clears throat> we can glorify the Lord through our appreciation, through our adoration, and thirdly, also our affection. Look with me at verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. Calvin writes this. <clears throat> he says, David, by calling God the portion of his lot, his inheritance, and his cup, he is claiming that he is so fully satisfied in him alone that he needs not covet anything besides him. That is good. He's claiming that there's no need for worship of any other gods. It's just simply no need. Because the Lord has fully provided everything that he needs, everything that he has, and he doesn't just fill his needs, but he gives it in abundance. Gives it in abundance. David just doesn't have a regular sword. He's got the sword of Goliath. He's probably as tall as him. It's a huge, huge thing. God gives in abundance. And David is glorifying God with his affection and his love in verses 5 and 6. I want us to pay particular attention in verse 5 to this list of three metaphors that David uses. He says his portion, his cup, and his lot. These are very intentional terms. A portion is something that is gifted to you. Right? Our, 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 our context here in Psalm 16, scholars seem to agree that, that David's portion was the lot of Canaan, the land of Canaan. And we know that this was divided among the Jews by divine appointment, and the law dictated that everyone was to be content with the portion that was given to him. Right? And back in verse 2, David proclaims that, hey, I've got no good apart from the Lord. Right? What good has the Lord blessed you with? For me, I was thinking about that this week. <clears throat> what is this blessing, this gift <clears throat> that has provided me for me in my life? And for me, it's my family. It's, it's a personal thing, for, but for me, it's my family. I was the product of two high school students. My birth mother was 16, and she was in no, no place to take care of me for my needs, or, and so she decided to place me up for adoption. And it's nothing but... Nothing short of the grace of God. That, I, that my chosen portion were two amazing, God-fearing, loving parents who sacrificed a lot to take care of me, my brother and my sister. And it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. My portion doesn't end just with my two parents. God has given me a beautiful wife. Right? And she is also a wife that comes from privilege. She's got two loving, God-fearing parents of her own. And it's not often that you meet a couple our age who has that kind of portion, right? Two intact families who devote their lives and their marriages to praying for my marriage. How cool is that? 
That's my portion. We're all given different portions. What's yours? What about David's cup? That's a little bit different than a portion, right? A cup is something that is at hand. Right? We, we took together cups uh, this morning um, that, full of wine that represent uh, the Lord's blood, but it's something that, that was given to nourish us, something given to feed us. So a cup is something that's at hand that nourishes and, and refreshes as you take part in it. It's as if David had said, God is mine, both in respect to my property and, and in respect to my enjoyment. <clears throat> and finally, David acknowledges that God holds his lot or his future. Fancy word for future. And in his day, it would often happen that rightful owners of property uh, were put out of their possessions because no one would be around to help defend it. Right? The church, rest assured that while God has given himself to us for our ultimate inheritance, he's also gifted us with the Holy Spirit to help maintain our assurance. Calvin writes this, he says, It would be of little advantage to us to have once obtained him as ours if he did not secure our possession of him against the assaults which Satan daily makes upon us. It is said that a man's heart is set upon his treasure. So what is your treasure? And when was the last time that you thanked God for that portion? Thank God for that treasure and that glorious work in your life. Those are ways that we can glorify God. Let us be a church that glorifies God in our appreciation, in our adoration, in our affection, and finally our subjection. Look with me at the next two verses in this passage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the mighty also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. We can glorify the Lord in our subjection when we dedicate ourselves to God and we stand dressed, ready for service. David has acknowledged that God is the source of his portion and inheritance, and we get that, and now he recognizes that this power and this goodness comes from above. And it's not just a gift, but it's a gift that enables him. It empowers him to make decisions and to stand firm in the battle of life. David, right? He's, this, he's the anointed king of Israel. And he is subjecting himself, submitting himself to an even mightier ruler. Here's a guy that doesn't have to do that, but he does do that. A heavenly ruler who provides for him wisdom and strength for the battles at hand. David says that it is because of God at his right hand that he will not be shaken. And I know that this concept of subjection or submission <clears throat> to another is it's really highly frowned upon in our society right now. Right? It's, it, it, we are bombarded by advertisements, by screens, by, by magazine pages, everything in movies that says we are the kings of our own destiny. Right? Who wants to be the king? That sounds good. Yeah, I want that. I want to be the king of my own destiny. But the Bible doesn't always side with the world, does it? It doesn't always agree with the world. And I think David knew a thing or two about being standing there, being dressed and ready for battle. Right at this point, he had already faced the biggest and baddest warrior of all time, right? Goliath of Gath. And, and he had nothing more than a slingshot and a rock, right? 
but he also subjected himself to the Lord because he was clothed in the armor of God. He didn't need Saul's armor. It didn't fit him. But he was clothed in the armor of God and he came out the other side to show us that foolishness, the foolishness of the world's way. We can honor God when we put aside ourselves, when we submit to his authority, submit to his leadership, his will, and his way. So a Christian can glorify God through appreciation, adoration, affection, and subjection. And the outcome of giving God this due glory is enjoyment of him forever. Sorry, my allergies are killing me today. <clears throat> so that is what the shorter catechism tells us in question one. Now look with me at David's conclusion in the next session of our passage, starting in verse 9. We're going to read through the end. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now, I was taught to never conclude a sermon with new information. But I, th- I think that's really wise counsel. But uh, this, sermon, this sermon's already broken several rules. We took a good two, ten minutes to get into the Bible. Uh, that's a really bad rule to break, but I've done it. So in recognition of your time this afternoon, <clears throat> I'm going to operate outside of the rules once again. Friends, God's with us. Um, and there's joy to be had in this cough drop. <laughs> oh, please bear with me. I understand that there's suffering in this world. I understand that there's evil in this world that's absolutely dead set on shaking us to our core. I get that. And then there's constant distractions. And then there's these weak human desires that lead to more hurt and to more pain. And despite what some leaders claim, y'all, our God does not promise us a pain and worry-free life. I was reminded of that this last week when I met with a friend who's currently going through really immense pain and sorrow, and extreme loss. And as Christians, we are not immune to these calamities. And sometimes they even, play, they even happen in places that we expect that we're supposed to be safe. We're supposed to be safe from danger. And these are heartbreaking experiences. And these are really hard and tough to endure. Guys, I want us to remind us of some perspective. Our temporary and our earthly woes pale in comparison to the everlasting torment that you and I deserve. David cries this out. He says, My flesh dwells securely, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or to hell, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures for forevermore. <clears throat> There's joy to be had. David reminds us in that, of, of that in the psalm. <clears throat> He reminds us that eternity is at stake. Eternity. This is serious business. Um, And we have a very serious solution. I don't have a ton of time uh, to get it. I I could spend another two hours in this. But if we look in the book of Acts, in Acts 2 and Acts 13, we have Peter and Paul who talk about Psalm 16. They quote these last four verses in Psalm 16, and they say that David... They say this, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ 
and that he was not abandoned to hell, or nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, this God was raised up on the third day. Uh, he was raised up by God on the third day, and he was exalted at the right hand of the Father. And this victory is good news. And it's the source for our everlasting joy. I get life's hard. It's not going to be easy. It's difficult. Our backs are going to hurt. Our feet are going to hurt. And our bodies are just going to start falling apart when you turn 40, apparently. It's a thing. And it's awful. And then it just aches the rest of your life. Um, (laughs) Then you have allergies. You move to Houston and you're allergic to green things. Um, But there's a hope that lies outside of this. And these, 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 these things are real. These things do hurt. These things are difficult. I'm not saying they're nothing. But I want us to focus on the finished work of Christ. That is the good news. That is cause for great joy, even amidst this pain. So let us be a people that rejoice. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded to glorify you in our lives this week, with our families, with our work, with our friends, in our conversations, and our thoughts. May they be pleasing to you, and may we find complete and full joy in your love. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. We're now going to sing a hymn that you're going to find in an insert. So I think Ben has handed those out. Please please stand and join me in singing. Not I, but through Christ. Me.